The following program is produced by Sage Advertising and Marketing. The views and opinions of the host and guests are not necessarily those of this station. Now, Nevada Real Estate Radio. Nevada Real Estate Radio has helped thousands of listeners make the right decisions when buying homes or refinancing. You'll never go wrong when you get your advice from real estate professionals that you know, like, and trust. Here is your host, Peter Padilla. Welcome to Nevada Real Estate Radio. This is Peter Padilla with you, and I'm enjoying my conversation every week, like I do last 12 years, with industry experts in the real estate business. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that some of the most successful people have in business all across the country when they want to purchase a home by getting a mortgage. Self-employed borrowers, business owners, people that have numerous businesses, when they go to get a mortgage because they are so successful, I know that many clients think, well, it should be easy. I run a multi-million dollar business. I've got hundreds of people on my payroll. I buy and sell all sorts of investments, equities, and properties. Uh, but when it comes down to buying that next property and you want to get a mortgage, you have to go through the process. And we're going to talk with our industry expert that's in the studio with us today, Michelle Holbert from Caliber Loans. We're specifically talking today about some of the challenges and some of the preparations that need to be considered if you're a self-employed borrower and you want to get a mortgage to buy a home. So hang on. We will be right back. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services which lay a solid foundation under the business owner's dream. Sign up for their free monthly newsletter at sageintl.com. That's sageintl.com. Real Estate Radio. Great day to tune into our show today. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business owner, if you're an investor, if you are one of those successful people that you know has a business going and you've got activity in sales, you've got activity because you've got staff, you've got growth and development, and you're moving around money to keep the business going. It seems like everything is going great. Now you want to buy a new home or maybe move up to a bigger home and you want to get a mortgage. Well, what's it going to take to get started? I guarantee you it is not like a first-time homebuyer who's lunchbox Joe, a W-2 employee that's got everything in order. A business owner has complications, or let's call them complexities, in their profile. And today we're going to talk somebody with somebody that works on those complexities every day. Her name is Michelle Holbert. She's a mortgage loan originator at Caliber Home Loans. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thanks, Peter. It's, it's good to be here. It's been a while. It has been a while to have you in the studio. I'm so glad that we have a chance to visit about this particular topic because, you know, here at our studios, we are visiting with lots of business owners, lots of people that have just started businesses, are about to start a business or or do, uh, you know, developments on their new and recent businesses that purchased But when it comes to dealing with finances, there are different complexities. And I know that because years and years ago, I worked with a lot of transactions that involved business owners, and I had to ask them for so much. Explain to us, our our listeners, what it's like when you work on a mortgage loan origination for a self-employed borrower. Well, Peter, it, it is a more complicated or complex transaction because there's more paperwork required for somebody that actually owns a business versus if you you are a W-2. So if you're Lunchbox Joe, 
I may only need a pay stub or a W-2 or mm-hmm. even a work number verification, which in that case, I wouldn't even have to have the pay stub or W-2. Now, if you employ Lunchbox Joe, yeah. well, then you have to comply with two years worth of tax returns. And that is personal tax returns and business tax returns if you're a corporation. In addition to that, most of our self-employed clients also have to provide profit and loss statements and P&L and balance sheets. So, you know, that, that starts to add to the paperwork requirements. In addition to that, if there's any change, uh, significant changes in income, it could be grounds for a decline. If, mm-hmm. you know, if they're, for example, 2016 income was less than 2015 without a valid explanation, it may be grounds for a denial. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spent my career working with self-employed borrowers, so I feel like I have a good grasp on what it takes. But, you know, there's, and they vary. You know, some of our self-employed borrowers, Peter, are a, a one-man show business owner. Yeah. And, you know, we're trying to talk to them about how do you file your tax returns. So, number one, you don't have to pay out your your entire money to the IRS. And number two, so where you can qualify for a loan. That's kind of a, you know, that's a double-edged sword there. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you take a quantum leap to a business owner that might be, that might employ 250 people. Mm-hmm. They're going to be complicated. We're going to require that they, that we verify any business that, that they have. So, you know, it just doesn't seem like conventional logic. You have two people come into your office, one at 10 and 11. And the guy that comes in at 10 works at a grocery store. He's a stacker. He's been there t- two or three years. He W2 guy. And then you have a guy that comes in and let's say he owns a casino in northern Nevada. And, you know, he's running a huge, huge, he wants to buy a house, a half a million dollar house. And although he could pay cash for that because of his his bank deposits, his statement, he might have $5 million in equities, right? And and I know you're going to get to see that. And yet, it's going to be tougher for him to put the whole thing together. Why is it that it's it's like that? It doesn't seem fair, really. When you when you hit a certain level of success, it should be like going carte blanche. Well, yes, <laughs> it, you would think, right? I always make the the you know the comparison that it's easier to lend to somebody with a 640 FICO score and a gift from grandma yeah. than it is to lend to a multi-million dollar business owner with 30% mm, down mm, mm. Um, and, a, and an 800 FICO. Yeah. It, it, and that's true. It, yeah. it's, it's frustrating from a lender's perspective because you see what, you know, you know, these people are busy running their businesses and the paperwork requirements for them is just absolutely absurd. We always hope that, you know, regulation changes will will take a look at that and mm-hmm. make it a little bit less of a complexity. Yeah. Um, and you know that that could happen here in the near future. We're we're hopeful, but um, that is how it is right now, and it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little frustrating. I would bet that one of these ultra successful business owners. Let's go back for as an example as a casino. Uh-huh. He probably could get a $50,000 credit line or maybe even a $100,000 credit line on a credit card sure. and probably be able to do that online or sure. you know on a telephone call. And yet when you get a mortgage, it's a whole different scenario. It is. So let me ask you, all the changes that happened uh, at about the mortgage meltdown, after the mortgage meltdown, uh, and then the new laws that came into effect, Dodd-Frank laws, more scrutiny, more more essentially uh, background check on every borrower. Is that when it happened for business owners, or was it like that even before? 
Well, there, there's always been a, a little bit of an extra step for self-employed borrowers. But if you go back 10 years or you know even 15 years ago, we had stated income programs that your self-employed borrowers typically used mm. if they had 20 to 25% down. And, you know, Peter, statistically, those loans did not ever default. Where we ran into issues is now when you took that stated income program for a self-employed borrower and they allowed stated income for somebody that earned a W-2 and, oh, by the way, let's lower the credit score requirement and put zero down, that's when, you know, that's when things came unraveled. So if you look at the programs that were geared towards self-employed borrowers early on, those programs were bulletproof in in a sense of, of repayment. Because they were only offered to the people that really should have well, been looking at those. Higher credit scores, um, no first-time home buyers, um, you know, 25% down. More money down, more skin in the yeah, game. Yeah, statistically, mm-hmm. if you put 25% down, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people try to use uh, today's um, standards to judge historical people. And my understanding is that's called uh, uh, those people are called presentists. So they use the the standards of today, and they try to judge people for their deficiencies way back before these standards were even set. I don't like that way of looking back at history, but the reality is, when you look back into the last ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, thirty, it seems like the people that were really successful in business were able to get a hold of money easier too, and then that just kind of perpetuated their 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 ability to grow and succeed in their business and in their life. And now it looks like that's that's like a governor. It, it throttles you back. It's, here's one more thing that successful people have to deal with because they are successful. That, that That's true. And Peter, you know, if you look back to a lot of business owners that struggled through the 2008, 2009, 10, and, and it wasn't just people related to the construction industry because let's face it, you and I have been in the housing industry for a long time, and it affects everybody. Right. You know, you don't have a guy building your house, and then the hairdresser loses her job, and the girl at the, the you know, the restaurant and the shopkeeper. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a, it, it's definitely an effect that goes down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that these people had to go out and be very resourceful to keep their businesses going. And I mean, we're talking like loan shark tactics to keep things up and running to get through those crises. And, and now they're thriving once again because we're in mm-hmm. a great, you know, we're definitely in a great environment here in northern Nevada. But the scrutiny is still there. And the yeah. scrutiny is there not only from the, the mortgage perspective, but also from the banking perspective. Mm-hmm. Commercial loans are harder to get. Mm-hmm. Um, credit lines for business owners, they, they still have to jump through hoops, mm-hmm. basically proving themselves all over again. Yes. I'm talking with Michelle Holbert. She's a mortgage loan originator at Caliber Home Loans. And today on our radio show, we're talking about the challenges that successful people, business owners, self-employed borrowers have when they want to get a mortgage from an institutional lender, a bank, to purchase a home. It might be to get your primary residence or an investment property, maybe a second home. It doesn't matter if you are a successful business person, business owner, self-employed borrower. Trust me, you have more hurdles than the average guy to get a mortgage. Now, as much as I'd love to be able to change the rules, and Michelle, you too, I know if we could tweak it, we've got some ideas, but we can't. So when we come back from this break, 
Michelle and I are going to talk about some of the things that you should be prepared for and start arranging if you are a self-employed borrower, a business owner, and you want to get a mortgage to purchase real estate. So hang on. We'll get there after this message. Many times, closing a real estate deal fast is the key to getting the great deal done. At Socotra Capital, we help you get the money fast. This is Dave Washburn, Vice President of Loans and Investments at Socotra Capital. We are a hard money lender for real estate transactions that need to close fast, way before banks or institutional financing can complete the deal. We're ready to talk to you about closing your transaction quickly, and we can get you the money fast. Visit www.SocotraCapitalNevada.com or call 775-420-4990 for a personal appointment. Thank you. Socotra Capital Nevada is located at 298 Kingsbury Grade, Suite 1G, State Line, Nevada, 89449. David Washburn's NMLS agent number 51269. Socotra Capital Nevada, Incorporated. SunTech Solar Screening adds elegance, comfort, and privacy to your home. 3529396. SunTech Solar Screens block up to 90% of the sun's heat and glare. SunTech Solar Screening proudly features Pfeiffer Screening products. 3529396. SunTech Solar Screens pay for themselves with lower cooling costs all summer long. Make shade while the sun shines. Call SunTech Solar Screening for a free estimate. 3529396. SunTech Solar Screening. You're tuned in to Nevada Real Estate Radio. My name is Peter Padilla, your host, and I'm enjoying conversations today, just like I have for the past 12 years, with experts in the real estate business. If you're going to be buying or selling real estate, you really need to listen to our show because every week we have great guests that help us make those right decisions. Today we're talking with Michelle Holbert, and she's a mortgage loan originator at Caliber Home Loans. And today is a very important program because in northern Nevada, we have a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people that want to be entrepreneurs, young business owners, older business owners, successful business owners. And with the economy going the way that it is, I mean, this is a really great time to start a business if you are so inclined. But you need to know what happens when you go into business or if you have a small business and you want to get a mortgage to purchase a home. It's not as easy as the guy down the street who drives a UPS truck or maybe a mailman, a school teacher, you know, somebody that gets a regular paycheck every week and doesn't have to worry about commissions or costs or sales. Successful people are successful because they can handle complexities. They can handle nuances, changes in business. They react because they're running a business. So they're really, really smart. But successful people are also penalized in some way, I believe, and the way is that, getting a mortgage. Michelle Holbert, talk to us about the challenges that business owners have when they want to get a mortgage. It's not just like coming in with a W-2. They have to provide you other documents. You had mentioned taxes, W-2s, K-1s. What if somebody has a partner or two in their business? Do the partners have to know that the owner's getting a mortgage? Well, not necessarily, Peter, because you know if you if you have a fifty fifty partnership, um, you as the fifty percent owner should have access to your business tax returns. Um, I, I would encourage anybody who is a business owner, be it big or small, if you're contemplating buying a house or refinancing your home, make sure that your make sure that your taxes are up to date and filed you know in a timely manner because mm-hmm. keep in mind lenders will still require profit loss statements even if you haven't filed your tax return and I'll give you an example Peter October 15th is the deadline to file 
a tax return for any given year. Right. Well, if if you're coming in sideways on October 15th, that could be problematic because sometimes we have to have tax validations to mm-hmm. show that the return's actually been filed, mm-hmm. but we're still going to require that you do a profit and loss statement for that entire year. Yeah. So it's not like you're getting away with not having to do the work. So my advice is try to do it in a timely manner. And for, for heaven's sakes, if you're a small business owner, pay a, a bookkeeper yeah. to keep to keep you, you know, in compliance. Oh yeah. And and then let's talk about the CPA. Years and years ago when I worked on the mortgage side, Michelle, I remember sometimes my borrowers were so busy, their issues were so complex and they couldn't even remember. They said, Well, let me just give you my CPA's number and once you call him or her um, and it was like, wow, wow. I mean, that is really incredible. Does that still happen? Do you ever oh, do that? Oh, sure. Yeah. I, um, a, a lot of times with our more complicated borrowers, I will get authorization from them mm-hmm. to talk to their CPA. Um, because, you know, that's, they're busy running their business, Peter. They're, they don't, you know, they don't necessarily know all the answers to the comp- the complexities of their tax return. Yeah. So it's a lot easier for me to pick up the phone and ask those questions instead mm-hmm. of having to go through the borrower. Yeah. Might I might be able to get it answered in five minutes instead of five days. I know. You know, what I liked was when I called the CPA, the CPA would say, okay, I've got that document. I'll send it off to you. You'll get it in the morning. When I asked for the same document from the borrower, the borrower said, why do you need that? Yeah, exactly. You don't need that. Right. <laughs> the CPA knows why you need it. The borrower thinks, oh, my goodness, you, you, you asked for my firstborn and, yeah. you know, everybody's after that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we try to coach people up front and tell them that it is complicated. But if you are specific or, you know, if, if we give specific instructions and our clients will follow instructions, we know how to get it done. Mm-hmm. But it is frustrating. You know, I think that people think that they pay their bills on time and they have 20% down. It should be easy peasy. And yeah. it's just not quite that easy. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. There's a lot to getting your mortgage because the government is involved. You know, there's a lot of regulations and rules in there that came in uh, before the mortgage meltdown, during the mortgage meltdown, after the mortgage meltdown. I mean, it's not like, you know, getting a, a financing on a bed. Uh, it's financing on real estate, and, and it gets to a whole different level. Well, it, it does. And and we've had some retraction in some of our conventional guidelines that's made it a little bit easier, mm-hmm. a little bit less documentation. But the one area that still, um, Peter, is going to be a, a complicated transaction just for, for documentation is the jumbo loan sector. Mm. Those are Those underwriters are specific investors in the marketplace and they, you know, they've been known not to buy a loan from an from a lender like Caliber or anybody else for that matter, because you know one tiny little thing might be missing, and you know all of a sudden you have a loan that nobody wants to buy. And when you say one tiny thing might be missing, is it like a dot or a cross of a T? I mean, how simple could it be that they would turn down a loan? Oh gosh, it could be that you know you're missing a tax transcript for a you know a business entity that doesn't even really generate much of an income, mm-hmm. um, or it could be that you know you're missing a page of a bank statement. I mean, th- yeah. things like that. It sounds ridiculous, yeah. but. It's true. So that's what, you know, I really encourage people that are, are listening to know the differences. When you're talking jumbo investors versus, let's say, a Fannie Mae loan mm-hmm. or a conventional loan, um, the jumbo market is still a privately held 
lending dynamic, if you will. The, mm. These these are, you know, these are hedge funds and these are individual groups of of companies that are making the rules, mm. not. The government. So there's even so, more, there's even more scrutiny. You think in that jumble range well, above? Absolutely. Yeah. And where does that start as far as the dollar amount of the mortgage? It's um, anything above four twenty four one is considered in this market in Washoe County a jumbo loan. So four hundred twenty four thousand one hundred and two dollars is yeah. a jumbo mortgage. That's and if correct. you need that much from your bank or your lender. You're going to have to go through even more steps. So some of the ways that you can avoid that, maybe uh, if you're going to need that much loans, maybe put some money down, put more money down, so you get out of that category. Yeah, more either. money down, or even um, some of the programs that we used to do, you know, many years ago, the first and the second combinations. We've been doing some of those. A first again. mortgage and a second mortgage. Correct. Uh-huh. Not the first and second with absolutely no down from the borrower, but typically something that would be a minimum of 10 or 20% down, mm-hmm. but in in some cases to bridge the gap between a jumbo loan and a conforming loan. Well, that's what you do. You're very creative in the way that you put together mortgages at Caliber Home Loans. Michelle Holbert is our guest today. And, um, you know, I have one more thing I need to visit with you, but we do need to take a, a break here. And I'd like to talk to you about what happens when you are a W-2 employee, but you've got a business going on the side. So I would think that and I bet our listeners are thinking, well, I'm okay because I haven't left my full-time job yet. I can I can have this side business going, and when I go get a mortgage from Michelle, I'll just give her my W-2s and show her I'm all set. I know you've got a great response for that, but we have to take a break. So hang on. We'll be right back. Buying investment real estate is a big decision. Getting the right mortgage is critical. This is Michelle Holbert, NMLS 184194 and MLB 3723 from Caliber Home Loans. With today's extremely affordable mortgage interest rates, you have the opportunity to step into what could be your best investment purchase of a lifetime. When you find the right property at the right price, you'll need to be pre-approved for your mortgage to lock in your deal with the seller. Caliber Home Loans is ready to talk with you about getting a mortgage to purchase real estate. Visit www.michelleholbert.com or call 775-284-1922. This is Michelle Holbert from Caliber Home Loans. Caliber Home Loans, located at 6530 South McCarran Boulevard, Reno, Nevada, 89509. Equal housing lender. And we're back on Nevada Real Estate Radio. We're talking about financing today. If you're a self-employed borrower, a business owner, you know, if you're a success in business. Yes, it's even challenging for successful people in business to get a mortgage. That's why you've got to deal with the right people. And today we're talking with somebody that's really in the know. If you've got a business going, if you're self-employed, Michelle Holbert is the person to talk to. She's our guest today. She's with Caliber Home Loans. And Michelle, when we were going to break just a little while ago, I was talking about the people that they are W-2 employees, but they've got a business going on the side. So what's the situation there? Can somebody come to you and get a mortgage with their W-2s and not even worry about that business? Well, yes, <laughs> but um, only recently has that been has that become a little bit less challenging. If somebody is a W-2 wage earner, we have some, it depends on their qualifications per se, and sometimes our underwriting findings only require a W-2 and a pay stub, mm-hmm. not even the tax return. So if that's the case, then yes. 
But here's where it gets complicated, Peter. So let's say you're a W-2 wage earner like I am, Mm -hmm. but I am 100% commissioned. Okay, so I still get a W-2 for my company, but I work strictly on commission, as do a lot of car mechanics, um, real, you know, well, real estate people are mm-hmm. typically a Schedule C, but most people in the lending industry actually get a W-2. Mm-hmm. I have to ask for your tax returns if, you, if more than 25% of your income is commission. So if I ask for somebody's tax return and it shows that you have a business and you know maybe you just started that business and maybe you wrote off $15,000, guess what? I take that away from your income. Uh, now you've got to so, dig deeper because you were right. informed and you saw documentation showing that not only am I a commission worker and here's my stuff, but I had to, I had a little loss and I took a little advantage of my business on the exactly. side. I'm doing uh, tanning hides on the side and uh, I make a little extra money, but I lost some money on mileage. So you've got to you've got to factor that in then. Well, I do. And mm. another place that we have to factor in any potential expenses, and this goes back again to being a commissioned um, a commission borrower, mm-hmm. is it's called the twenty one oh six expenses, and that's where a commissioned employee can take deductions against their income. Well, that shows up on the tax return. So again, if I if you're commissioned, I have to ask for your tax return, and it shows that you wrote off, you know, forty percent of your income. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Well, you know, commissioned employee. Then it sounds like, in your eyes and in the eyes of the lending institutions, is like being a business owner. Kind of. I mean, is. suddenly you're looking at the. Yep. You have to look at so much more stuff, and you do. I guess I can understand that really to a degree because. As a commissioned employee, you're, it's all about your performance. It's what have you done right. lately and what are you going to do in the future. And, um, y- yeah, I can, I can just say I never thought about commissioned employees being like self-employed borrowers. So, attention, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a commissioned employee and you're thinking, hey, I was off, this, off easy because I'm a W-2 employee – that's a new complexity that people need to think about. Yeah, that, that is something that can derail a transaction if you're not careful. So um, it's, let's say somebody's making $100,000 in commissions and uh-huh. they figure, hey, my rent's only $1,000 a month. I can come in and maybe get a uh, a mortgage to buy a three hundred dollars or 400000 make one of those jumbo deals. Those uh-huh. sound pretty good. Um, but then, you know, when you look at those taxes, it's not just that $100,000 I get in commissions. You're going to look and see really everything that I wrote off to get that hundred thousand, like my car, car payments, my insurance on the car, um, my uniforms that I have to wear or, or, or travel, uh, meals and entertainment. All that comes off of my income. So suddenly I'm not making a hundred thousand dollars anymore. Is that what you're telling me, that's, Michelle? That's correct. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Have you ever seen anywhere somebody that says they make a hundred thousand dollars in commissions come in when you do the calculations? They don't make any money. Well, I, I I've seen that. Yes, <laughs> I, I absolutely have. Oh my gosh. So so if you take advantage of the tax system so that you can keep more money in your pocket by writing it off on your taxes, that can hurt you when you go get a mortgage because that doesn't count in the mortgage institution's eyes as real income. That's that's correct, Peter. Oh, so wow. so for those that are commissioned, um, you know, you just have to be careful about how much you're writing off in expenses. Mm-hmm. And for those that are self-employed, and again, let's say a real estate agent, they would file a Schedule C. So they put their, their gross income and they itemize that, that whole Schedule C is so for the deductions mm-hmm. um, on, on their expenses. Yeah. Well, I've seen people write their income down to nothing. And they say, well, you know that I really make, you know, I really make X amount of dollars. It's like, well, 
yeah, but you didn't claim that, so how am I supposed to really give you a loan if you don't really make any money in the eyes of the government? Yeah. And the only thing we could add back in in reality is depreciation. Mm -hmm. So it's complicated, Peter. Well, it adds for more complexities because when you get to that point, somebody's really honestly thinking they can afford to get the mortgage and buy that, but but on paper they can't. Then they have to find other solutions, and that's for a different show. But I guarantee yeah. you this, uh, all of our listeners, I want you to know, if you're commissioned now, if you're a commissioned employee, if you're self-employed, if you own a business, and you're thinking at any time in the future about getting a mortgage to purchase your real estate so that you can keep <clears throat> excuse me, more money in your pocket, now is the time to start getting things in order. So what should people start doing now, Michelle, if they think that maybe in the next six months, year or so, want to get a mortgage to buy a home? Should they call you now or should they start gathering documents or should they get their CPA on the line? What should they do? So for starters, you know, I've said this on almost every show is um, first thing is to run a credit report because you'd be surprised at how many people have something that has popped up that would hinder their, typically not their ability to get a loan, but the interest rate. So that's where I, I like to start. Secondly, yes, it's show me your documentation now for your income mm-hmm. because that way, if there is something that might be, you know, not quite enough to get you to the mortgage that you want, you have time to, to adjust that in the next tax year mm-hmm. and file it to where that would be, you know, an average of income that would get you that mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's never too early to have a lender look at your finances, honestly. And waiting till the last minute is absolutely the worst thing you can do for yourself. And a lot of successful business owners, um, they they actually, I know, they delay their tax filing until October mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, they've got to get their documents together and whatnot. I would think it's a good idea to visit with you before the taxes are done so that somebody can get an idea of where they are currently and if their taxes are going to be prepared in the coming months then they can make maybe make some adjustments what do you think of that absolutely you know i we have to be we we can't advise somebody as to um you know i can't just say hey you need to only file this for income um but i will tell them what is needed for them to qualify for whatever it is that they want to buy yeah and then they can take that information back to their accountant Mm -hmm. or you know, within their own business world and see if that's something that can happen. And then lastly, Peter, on the assets, um, you know, business owners have a tendency to have several accounts. And if you're a small business owner, I still see people that run personal, personal expenditures through their business accounts. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. (laughs) You know, the whole documentation for cash to close can be that can complicate things tremendously if you're commingling those funds. Uh-huh. So I really encourage business owners to make sure that those funds are held separately and you know get those funds set aside early and provide the paper trail if you can't set them aside that early. You know mm-hmm. make sure that the paper trail makes sense for us but please do not commingle your funds. Yeah. When you are a commission employee, when you're a business owner, sole proprietor or otherwise, you have additional functions that you have to do in your business life, and there are additional complexities. And I know this for a fact. A lot of lenders do not know how to handle self-employed borrowers, commission borrowers, or business owners because of the layers and of the complexities. And they avoid them, or they, they would just say that they can't be done. So if you're in this category, you have absolutely got to talk to someone 
in the mortgage business that knows how to interact and deal with self-employed borrowers, commission workers, and business owners, and that would be Michelle Hulbert from Caliber Home Loans. Michelle, I'm right, am I not? A lot of people in your business, they really shy away from this kind of work. Oh, absolutely. And it's not that they're not good at what they do, but this is a different level. It takes a lot more time. It takes a lot more time. And um, if, you know, if you've never lived in that world, like if, if, you know, I I can relate to this because this is what I've done for 30 years. I've I've worked on commission. I own real estate. I've Mm -hmm. been a business owner. So I get what this is all about. And it helps when I'm analyzing a tax return. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who would know better? It's great to have you on the show today. And I'm looking forward to having you come back next time. We'll chat a little bit more about commission uh, employees um, and uh, self-employed borrowers and business owners and offer additional advice on what to do to get ready if you're looking to buy real estate, especially real estate in northern Nevada. Beautiful outside, beautiful country. Michelle, I'm glad you came to visit with us today. Thanks, Peter. It's great to see you. You bet. And if anybody wants to reach you, what's the best way? Best number for me is 775-742-3559, or you can reach out to us at thehulbertteam.com. Very good. We'll put all of your contact information on our website. Thanks for being with us again. Thanks, Peter. When we come back from this break, we have a golf course real estate expert. His name is Jock Ogletree. He's with Dixon Realty. He's going to talk to us about how successful people look for homes and what they look for when they're looking to buy their homes after this break. SunTech Solar Screening uses Pfeiffer screening products. Make shade while the sun shines. SunTech Solar Screening, 352-9396. SunTech Solar Screening. Sage International Incorporated is proud to be celebrating 23 years in business. We believe if you know the way, you must light it for others. Owning a business can be hard, demanding, and even bizarre. At Sage International, our passion centers on education, which is based on our own experiences of building a company from scratch, along with the insights gained from the thousands of clients we have served. If you are a business owner, real estate investor, professional or entrepreneur, and not sure how to properly structure your business and personal assets to safely grow, protect, and leverage your hard-earned wealth from the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, liability exposure, probate and estate taxes, then call Sage International Incorporated at 775-786-5515 to schedule a free 30-minute consultation with Sherry Hill today. That's 775-786-5515. Call Sage International. So with us in the studio today, Jacques Ogletree is with us, and Jacques is a realtor at Dixon Real Estate here in northern Nevada, but Jacques specializes in golf course, like a golf community specialist is what he is. Welcome to the show, Jacques. Thank you. It's great to be here again. It is great to have you back, too. I enjoyed our conversation that we had earlier this year about your work at Dixon Realty and how you are a golf community specialist. But now that we're into the springtime and now that we're talking about where really successful people like to live, kind of puts it all together. You really do see some great people, some great quality individuals when you're living and enjoying life around a golf course. That's true. Uh, last time I was here, we talked more about the financial side of choosing a golf a golf community, the cost of golf per round, and so forth. Uh-huh. Today, I think what we want to focus on is the culture of yeah. being in a golf community. Yeah. So and like, the things that they might want to consider. Okay. All right. That, so, uh, uh, as I mentioned, you know, you have to have a certain level of, of uh, success in your work or your business to be able to afford to play golf, first of all. 
But to be able to live on a golf course, you're probably looking with maybe more upscale people, Jock, that are looking to buy there. Yeah, I think uh, you want to match the level of the community in the golf course with the level that you're looking for. Right. Young, upwardly mobile professionals may want to be in a different community mm-hmm. than what newspaper articles have called the old money mm-hmm. of golf courses and country clubs. And uh, we were members of a brand new club in San Jose for 10 years that was made up of young 40, 40 to 50 year old professionals. Uh-huh. And it made just a tremendous environment because everyone was living the same thing in their work mm-hmm. with the travel and, you know, and, and the long hours and the commutes and, and so forth and, and the pressure and had the weekends and the time together to enjoy being together. Yeah, and, you know, let's face it, when you move into a community, the most important part about a community, I feel, is the community itself. It's who and what kind of people you live around. Unless you're moving to a rural area where you're going to be on the center of 40 or 100 acres, it really is more about the people that you're around and associating with. When you move to a golf course, that's pretty much the common factor, right? Everybody that loves to play or enjoys living close to a golf course. Do you find that people move to golf courses not so much because they play, but just because they like that environment, John? Yeah, a long time ago I heard a statistic that a brand-new golf course community is only counting on 25% of the residents joining. Uh-huh. So if there's 1,000 houses, there's mm-hmm. 250 members Yeah, yeah. right there. So, And usually the first lots to go on the golf course are not golfers. Really, which adds to a complication as golf balls come into the backyard <laughs> yeah, and right and it's so little, forth. You but, can't be quite as understanding <laughs> if you don't swing a club yourself when somebody shanks one right into your backyard. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a lot of different subsets in a uh, in a golf club uh, in a country club. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are non-golfers, yeah. but very often those are still very social. There's dinners, there's parties, well, yeah, there's I, things to I, be involved in and yeah, so forth. I had belonged to a number of country clubs in my uh, in my, my long life, and uh, I always enjoyed the, the restaurants, the, the outdoor the swimming pools that they many of them have, the other f- amenities that a golf course offers that so often they don't promote because it's it's golf course or it's a golf resort area or a golf residence area. But there are so many more benefits. The socialization, the networking, if you're still in business, it's a great way to meet people of affluence that maybe someday can become a client or an associate. You never know. But I, I really enjoy that environment when you're talking about living on or near a golf course. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a number of things to consider as you're looking at that. Uh, one is the community itself. It's got to be attractive. It's got to have the types of homes that you want. You're not going to choose a community for the golf and dislike the homes yeah. or dislike the style of the homes or the layout of the community. Uh, then there's the the type of golf. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about the financial aspects last time. Yeah. Of what's the cost per round? What's the initiation fees? Mm-hmm. Is it an equity membership and so forth? But you got to like the golf course. It'd be terrible to live in a golf community, love the community, and hate the golf course. Yeah, right? I mean, that's, so you've got to make no sense. I can look at a golf course in a community and know whether I'm going to enjoy playing it or not. And there have been ones where I've said, I just, this, I'm not going to enjoy that course. Yeah. Uh, maybe, it, you know, maybe it's a hooking course and I hit a big slice. Or uh-huh. you got to just watch those things that you're going to enjoy. Or it's too difficult. Yeah. There's always a possibility. You'll that find true. that golf courses in 55-plus communities tend to be a little bit easier. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So uh, so there's the style of golf. And then there's the, there's the type of golfers. 
Uh, I've been in active communities where once I became 50, I became a very, uh, very active member of the senior, the senior group, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. playing in senior golf leagues, playing with the seniors on Tuesdays and Thursdays and, yeah. and so forth. But if you're a 25-year-old professional with a two handicap, you want to make sure there's guys there that you can play with. Yeah, and you want to be able, to, you know, make sure that you can enjoy that kind of uh, interaction and socialization. Because again, you want to make sure you're living and networking with the right kind of people for you at your at wherever you might be in, in life today. Yeah, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. But you know, the concept of of living in a golf course community, I love because it is, you know, they're they're better maintained, they're manicured, they're uh, they're somewhat of a gem in itself. You know, to be close to a golf course. It just gives you so many other opportunities that you can have if you're having to drive 10, 15, 20 miles to a golf course in, instead. Um, the, the golf course communities, they do have a big wide range. And one of the things that I've noticed here in northern Nevada is that we, we have a, just, just a variety of different kinds of people that can go to these different kinds of golf courses. But what I do know, too, is that some of the golf courses closed over the last few years in northern Nevada. So my question is to you. Jacques, are you finding that there's still that level of interest, that popularity, that demand, if you will, for people that enjoy golf? Is that still something that, that people can count on down the road? I, I, I think the answer to that is yes, but there's some, some uh, ramifications of it. Uh, golf is down in terms of the number of participants. It's something the golf industry is having to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're talking about uh, successful people – living in golf communities, but the sustenance of golf is with the kids. Yeah. So we got kids programs that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that the golf industry and the golf world is focusing on. Yeah. I think things like the Olympics helped sure. a lot with generating interest. But it is something the, the industry has to pay attention to. It takes too long to play and costs too much, too much money. It has to be more affordable for young people. Some of the courses that I played in Arizona specifically, though, Jacques, they're par threes. And people really enjoy playing those par threes because – you know, you're on and off quick, and, and it, it just seems to have a little different dynamic, more of an energy dynamic. Have you played on a par three yourself? You know, uh, there's two things that I don't do. I don't play par threes, and I don't practice. <laughs> I want to get on the golf course and play and the challenge of it. Mm-hmm. But par threes do have a place, mm-hmm. absolutely, and yeah. particularly for seniors and for couples and for beginners. Well, if you're not that's a long, how you That's how you feed golf. Yeah, if you're not a long ball driver like I am. I mean, I, look, I can hit a, a, a nine iron about as far as I hit my driver. So <laughs> guess where I like to play, right? Exactly. I love that's par right. threes. I think they're, they're a whole lot of pitching putts, right. some people call them. In Arizona, when I lived there a number of years, uh, summertime, we'd play night golf, which was kind of fun. It's just kind of a, a little uh, hybrid of the, of the real sport. But boy, talk about a blast. Uh, you're putting at two, three in the morning. Uh, with flashlights, it's going to be a neat adventure. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you when you and when you can, sw- we're talking about the culture of a golf community. When you're looking into that, there are things you can do mm-hmm. to understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, go, walk definitely walk through the clubhouse, look around at the course, talk to the membership director, mm-hmm. see if you can get introduced to a couple of the members for either a round of golf or a dinner or a drink, mm-hmm. and try to you know and look at the activities. Yeah. That are going on. Those are imp- those are really important. Yeah, I want to talk about the price differences, the price ranges. I mean, what people have to expect when it comes to the cash when you're moving into an area close to a golf course or even on a golf course. We have to take our break, Jock. But when we come back, we're going to pick up our conversation with you and share with our listeners what Dixon Realty is doing to help people buy and sell homes in northern Nevada. 
So stay tuned. We'll be right back. SunTech Solar Screens block up to 90% of the sun's heat and glare. SunTech Solar Screening proudly features Pfeiffer Screening products. Make shade while the sun shines. SunTech Solar Screening, 3529396. SunTech Solar Screening. Buying investment real estate. Getting the right mortgage is a critical part of your decision. This is Lou Carr, branch manager of Summit Funding in Sparks, Nevada. With today's extremely affordable mortgage interest rates, you have the opportunity to step into what could be the best investment purchase you'll ever make. How do you go about it? First, get pre-approved with a mortgage lender like Summit Funding. Then, find the right property at the right price. Summit Funding is ready to talk with you about getting a mortgage to purchase real estate. Visit summitfunding.net slash L-C-A-R-R or call 775-626-0775 for personal service. This is Lou Carr from Summit Funding, NMLS number 258750. Our branch NMLS number is 1042857. Summit Funding's NMLS number is 3199. Thank you. Summit Funding is an equal housing lender. With us today, also with us, is Jacques Oakletree. And Jacques is a realtor at Dixon Realty. And the thing I like about Jacques, and he's been on the show with us before, is that he is a golf community specialist. And ladies and gentlemen, I absolutely love to golf. I don't get to golf enough, but I'm thinking about my next home being on a golf course so that I can play more often. I can think about it, and I can enjoy the passion that I've had for many, many years but just don't have the access So maybe that's it, Jock. Maybe the reason people like to live close to the golf course is because they can get to the golf course faster and they're not expending so much effort and time just getting out on the golf course. No, it's a good point. My my early golfing years were spent getting up at 6 in the morning to call to get a tee time for a week in advance Mm -hmm. and then playing a a five-and-a-half-hour round because the public courses were crowded. And when my personal financial position uh, I was successful enough. Uh, I, there was a brand new country club being built in San Jose, and we joined. And I've been a member of a golf club uh, continuously. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you play a lot more golf. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> just like you're right there. So why not enjoy? It? Plus, it's kind of neat to probably be able to invite friends and family to come over, yeah. share a little time on the golf course, bring your sticks with you, and you know, it's you really get maximized maximum benefit by using all the amenities on or near a golf course. But like we mentioned, some people just move to a golf course or a golf course area because they like the community, they like the home, they like the social functions that are connected with living near a country club, golf course, etc. But my question that I get often when we start talking about things like this with candidates that are looking to buy homes, Jock, is this. How much more expensive is it to live on or near a golf course as opposed to maybe four or five blocks away? So is there a formula? Is it like a 5% difference or a 10% difference for every mile you get closer to a golf course? How does that go? How, does, how are those homes priced, or are they priced any differently? When a, a new golf community is developed, there's definitely a lot premium for being on the golf course. And that's going to depend on the price of the homes in the golf course. Yeah. fifty to 100000 and up premium mm-hmm. to have a lot where you have a golf view or uh-huh. you're on the golf course. Yeah. Over time, then, as the community matures, market forces come into play. So the premium for a golf course lot now, particularly during the recession, dropped tremendously. Mm -hmm. Well, how about now that things are coming back and strong? 
coming back a little bit. Uh, higher end homes are not selling as fast, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we hear a lot about uh, the lower priced homes, starter homes, less than four hundred thousand dollars. There's very very little inventory. Yeah. In this area, mm-hmm. when you get up to the higher priced homes, we're looking at nine to thirty months worth of inventory. Which oh. is good for if you're yeah. buying right now. Right. There's a lot of product out there, right? Either mountain homes or golf course homes. Uh huh. So when they talk, they talk about the housing shortage, you're probably not really thinking about the golf courses or those mountain homes because those, you know, there's not as many people looking for that starter home, let's say, or that first time home. Yeah, and it's you know it's a it's a it's a follow up to the recession. Mm-hmm. Um, higher priced homes are just not moving as fast as they have historically. And I'm sure, like you say, during the downturn of real estate markets, uh, like we had one a few years back, that might be a great time to consider stepping up to a golf course home because the the premiums are so much less, right? The difference in, in cost versus a home in, not on a golf course or near a golf course area. So that's a good time to upgrade if you keep your eye on the market. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. But there's because there's a lot fewer people looking to upgrade during that time, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. watching their money, they're yeah. watching their investments. Yeah. And so forth. So there's a lot of lot of great property available. I'm lucky that our radio show, Nevada Real Estate Radio, runs on K Hit 1450 AM and 94.1 FM. Primarily sports talk on our radio <laughs> show, but every now and then they take a break to let me come on and talk about real estate and real estate in northern Nevada. But we're talking about golf, so it is sports. So let's talk about some of our favorite golfers from the years past. So First of all, my my all-time favorite golfer, of course, is Jack Nicklaus, probably in line with a majority of golf fans across the country. But some of the most memorable names that I loved in that same era, Jock, are Chichi Rodriguez. Character, and, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, the Supermex, Lee Trevino. Yep, yep. And, of course, I was a big Payne Stewart fan and hated it when we lost him from this world. You know, he wore the knickers when he golfed in the in the tournaments. It was always so cool to see him out there. Was, I figured, and he was exciting to watch. Well, if, you, if you're going to wear knickers on a golf course, you better be good. <laughs> you absolutely better be good because you're asking for a ton of attention. And they're either going to laugh or they're going to applaud. And in Payne's uh, case, they were always applauding because what a fun fun golfer to watch. So tell me about yourself. Who do you like? So uh, my first days of going to golf tournaments were at the uh, f- at the Bing Crosby. And I went for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. So I and that was in the seventies, late seventies, and I saw Sam Snead, Gene Littler, and just being a golfer, just marveling at the beauty oh. of their golf swings. Oh yeah. And of course he's all the celebrities out there mm-hmm. as well. I've been a Freddie Couples fan when oh, I'm love Freddie, when yeah. I'm playing well, I feel like I'm as relaxed as Fred Couples looks. Oh yeah. Yeah. When he's playing. I, I was a I was a big Tiger fan and uh saw a number of saw his big Pebble Beach. Uh, mm-hmm. U.S. Open victory, yeah, and that was—he was just an amazing athlete, not oh, just yeah. a, not just a golfer. And we've got a lot of amazing athletes right now in the yeah. professional golf ranks. And what's neat about the sport of golf is that uh, you can really golf with anybody. I mean, uh, if we had a chance to golf with Tiger Woods, we could go out there and hit some balls and have a good time uh, because we're all playing on our own, and we're all but we all can can have some exchange and conversation together. But I've always found, Chuck, that if I play with somebody that's a little bit better than I am, my game improves. Is that 
is that kind of common? Is that how you work? You know, uh, I think that's true. I think I've observed it, certainly heard it for years. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can play pretty bad no matter who I'm playing with. So, <laughs> it, uh, you know, <laughs> by the way, you don't I don't discriminate. You by the, play bad all the time. By the way, I have played golf with Tiger Woods. Have you really? Uh, he would not remember this because he was somewhere around 12 years old. Uh -huh. And I was teeing off at a public course in San Jose, and they yeah. – uh, Paired him up with us, oh. and here comes this little kid wearing an all-white outfit—the one that you've seen pictures of yeah. from that age. And we played around a golf at Riverside Golf Course in, oh, wow. in San Jose, and he had many of the characters. Dad was there; he had mm -hmm. many of the characteristics that you've heard about. I think wow. that started becoming a fan. I had no idea who he was, of course, right. at the time. So no photograph, no, no autograph, no proof actually that I played golf with him. Yeah, the, I think the most. Uh, popular person that I played with, actually played with on my round, was a guy named Bo Jackson. Oh, yeah. He was a baseball player, uh, Los Angeles Raider. I think he was a running back. And after he retired, I had a chance to play with him in a tournament in Arizona. And then I was in a tournament also in Arizona where um, uh, it was the debut of one of the, at that time, one of the biggest hitters in golf, one of the new biggest hitters in golf. And his name is John Daly. You know oh, that had, to, that had to be a kick, oh, yeah. Oh, man, he was, I mean, and he was belting the balls, but he hadn't won any majors yet, but that same year is when he won the U.S. Open. It was just the most incredible thing. So, at any rate, golf is one of those sports that, I mean, I can remember a shot that I did in 1995 when I came within six inches of a hole-in-one at a country club in Arizona, Jacques. And that's what I, I love about golf is you can actually remember so many little tiny details of particular things including a, a swing or a ball or somebody you played with, golf is truly a memorable sport. Yeah, and uh, we can finish a round and remember every single shot of a round, yeah. every hole on the golf course, if you've played it enough. Well, it's nice that they have a scorecard. Uh, if they had that in baseball and football, could, yeah, you could really keep the memories, right? <laughs> but they don't. But golf is one of those things where you actually get a scorecard, and you get to go to the 19th hole afterwards and have a lot of fun. And I really do encourage anybody that is thinking about buying a home in more of a luxury neighborhood just really think about Find in and around a golf course. And you're the man, Jock, that I would suggest that people talk to. I appreciate that. Thank what you. is the best way to reach you in case somebody wants to reach you at Dixon Realty? Phone number is 775-378-0666 and email jokeltree, O-C-H-I-L-T-R-E-E -E, at dixonrealty.com. All right, we've got that information on our website. Make it easy for people to find you. So tell me a little bit about Dixon Realty. You like working there? I do. Uh, it's a family-owned business. It's very successful, uh, sophisticated marketing website. So a lot of services for us as agents, a lot of support mm -hmm. for us, uh, a good presence. Uh, I moved here from Florida. I'd been an agent in Florida for a number of years. So it was a great way to to come into the Reno area and mm -hmm. get to know the area and how things work. Uh, things are always a little bit different from state to state and area oh, yeah. to area. Mm -hmm. uh, they provide us a lot of support, uh, a lot of positioning within the uh, within the community. Yeah, well, I love the good work that you're doing there, Dixon Realty, great company. And I'm encouraging anybody, again, to give you a call if they're thinking about buying or selling a home in and around a golf course. You are the golf course specialist, the golf community specialist. And I'm glad you had a chance to come with us and visit with us today, Jacques. Any final thoughts for our listeners? Uh, I do appreciate the opportunity. You and I could talk about golf for the rest of the day, yep. or we could go out and play. I'd rather go play. Well, yeah, I'm it's a beautiful day. It's with spring here, we're ready to go. Yes. And uh, I do other things besides that. I'm doing a lot of work with uh, engineers moving to the area, relocation, startup companies, mm -hmm. 
and so forth now, and perhaps I'll get a chance to come on and talk about that later. You bet. We'll be glad, glad to have you come back and visit with us soon. You're a great guest, and I want to thank you for coming to join us today. Thank you, Peter. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in as well. This is Peter Padilla, your host on Nevada Real Estate Radio. If you have questions or comments for us, send an email to me, peter at nevadarealestateradio.com. So tell your friends and family we're on the air again next week, same time, same station. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Nevada Real Estate Radio with Peter Padilla. We value your listenership and appreciate your feedback. Want to talk with Peter? Send an email to peter at nevadarealestateradio.com. Buying investment real estate is a big decision. Getting the right mortgage is critical. This is Michelle Holbert, NMLS 184194 and MLB 3723 from Caliber Home Loans. With today's extremely affordable mortgage interest rates, you have the opportunity to step into what could be your best investment purchase of a lifetime. When you find the right property at the right price, you'll need to be pre-approved for your mortgage to lock in your deal with the seller. Caliber Home Loans is ready to talk with you about getting a mortgage to purchase real estate. Visit www.michelleholbert.com or call 775-284-1922. This is Michelle Holbert from Caliber Home Loans. Caliber Home Loans, located at 6530 South McCarran Boulevard, Reno, Nevada, 89509. Equal housing lender. SunTech Solar Screening uses Pfeiffer screening products. Make shade while the sun shines. SunTech Solar Screening, 352-9396. SunTech Solar Screening.